a hit that might just ruin your photos, a very questionable musical alibi, and a beautifully written song that could derail your career path. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, folks, we've got a very fun themes and variation for you today as we are talking songs that offer bad advice. We've got three songs to break down that may have everything you want musically, but also happen to offer some guidance to be avoided. And joining me for this deep dive into some songs full of suspect suggestions are Mihaly Lee and musician, writer, and educator Max Elper. Based in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Max is a former professor of audio production and sound studies at Atlantic University in Winabo, as well as the founder and executive director of Sonic Arts for All, a 501c3 nonprofit focusing on music technology education for K-12 and special needs students. He's also the curator of the Weaponized Critical Memory account on Instagram, Lamim Young, and makes sound collages and improvised music under the moniker Peretsky. Max is just brilliantly hilarious, and he was such a perfect guest for this episode. And just a quick note, if you're enjoying the show, to please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does go a long way in helping the show out. And if you want to get in touch with us at the show, maybe you have a theme suggestion, maybe you have some guests you'd love to see on the show, drop us a line at podcast at soundfly.com. Remember to head to soundfly.com where you can dig into courses from artists like Comtrues, Kimbra, Jalen, Kiefer, RJD2, and many more on the way. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Songs That Offer Bad Advice. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. Of course, joining me today, Mahaya Lee. Mahaya, how you doing? I'm good. I think this is our third taping that's pretty early in the morning, so... I'll do my best <laughs> to navigate that. But other than that, I'm doing pretty well. Oh, How are man. you? Yeah, Just setting the bar low right off uh-huh. the bat. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen to that energy coming in hot. I know. Oh, my God. I know. Well, I think we're going to have plenty of energy because, uh, look, we have a super fun guest joining us today. Musician, writer, educator, and look, got to add, purveyor of dank memes, of course, Mr. Max <laughs> Helper. Max, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for... Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Long time, long time Soundfly Stan, uh, you know, friend, friend of the friend of the conglomerate, not just the pod, the entire org. <laughs> I am really looking forward to it. And guys, we're talking songs that offer bad advice. Um, bit of a PSA episode for us, you know. Maybe through through discovering some bad advice through these songs, we can save some folks. From making some bad decisions in their lives. But I got to ask you a little different kickoff question for you both today. What is the worst piece of musical advice you ever received? Um, Probably that I should only do one thing. People hmm. at, at certain points have said, like, you should just like, you're, you're, you're going to spread yourself too thin if you have too many projects. And that's, 
true to some extent, right? Don't nothing to any extreme, but like they were on some purest, almost you know, classical instrumentalist or composerly vibe that was like, if you're gonna do this, you should like only do this. And I didn't do that, and uh, it worked out. It worked out fine. Yeah, you definitely did. You like what? <laughs> What all are you up to these days? Like, there's so, I'm saving this for the end, but there's so much stuff. I was, you know, doing a little bit of research, and you're just, yeah, you've got your hands in many pots. Yeah, these days. I, uh, I was a full time professor up until August 21, and uh, then I decided to take the the jump. And uh, now I've been just teaching privately a lot. I host Zoom classes several times a week for Patreon community via, mm -hmm. you know, Discord, Zoom, that sort of thing. And uh, I do some writing, finishing up a book project right now, and uh, then we'll start, you know, pitching it. I'm going to pitch it to record labels rather than uh, go about it like okay. a, I would an album rather than a book, because, nice. you know, stick with what I know, but also who's more likely to purchase a music education shit posting type book uh <laughs> than you know mus musicians probably so you know i feel like it's right demographics to to go about publishing that way but uh you know these things take years even when it's done to yeah. actually see the light of day so i just kind of want to pass it off to some proper imprint and do it right you know so yeah. we'll see love that so that so the advice you definitely weren't having any part of that <laughs> they just absolutely nah, nah. immediately were like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna stick to one lane i, I love that mahaya any any thoughts now you've had a little bit of time yeah, to I think know. about this have, you've had more time than max because time. again i did yeah, I give know. you the heads up so you've had a substantial <laughs> amount of time to think I've about had, this i have like 29 years of having received musical advice to be advice. so it's more a matter of narrowing it down and like seeing what ended up so... actually being good advice in retrospect oh, um but i actually i got kind of the opposite advice at one point in a bad way i'd say um when i was in school i asked a professor like i what should i look for in a collaborator basically which was like a nice way of saying what do you think i'm bad at <laughs> you know or like what, mm -hmm. what could i use and he sat down for a while and thought about it and me being a musical generalist <laughs> i don't think i'm like i don't feel like i've ever specialized in one thing really you know um the advice i got was maybe you don't need one and that's just not great you know um because I think one of the best parts of, of making music is the social aspect. And for a long time, that just wasn't very important to me, in part because mm -hmm. of that advice. Um, you know, you need a little more perspective every now and then. So, yeah. Carter, I'm guessing you've gotten some pretty bad advice, given you came up with this prompt. Honestly, I, did, I didn't have anything off the top of my head. I just thought, like... This is the episode we're doing. I would love to hear what your guys' experience is just with getting bad advice musically. But I think the one the one for me that I, I remember and has kind of stuck with me was um, right out of college, the first school I went to, um, my friends and I got offered a gig where it was like a union paying gig, like right out of college. We we're totally broke, of course. And it was... Like basically, we were playing bumper music for an award show in in the province of Alberta. Like the it was the Alberta Film and Television Awards, which <laughs> yes is a thing, I guess. So I'm I'm sure like I can't AFGAs? remember something like that. that. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Not to be confused with the Baftas, but no. very very close. 
um <laughs> but uh no so we we got offered this gig and like we're just playing bumper music we had to come up with all these cues and it was like like a thousand bucks or something for for a day of playing and like and it was televised and stuff which like yeah it was televised in alberta so again it wasn't that's a big this isn't like a huge gig but for us that was such a big deal and uh, a professor at at the school i was going to was like you can't take that it's it's undercutting um everybody else and i i do believe very much in like how the the economy of music has been just pillared by by musicians and everything like undercutting each other and like yeah i'll do sure. that for free and, so, and that's totally fine we weren't doing this for free we were doing this for a very solid amount of money but well, he, he thought we should be getting gig, like right? <laughs> yeah it was so like we again we were protected through the union and stuff yeah. and he's like don't do it don't do it i kind of think honestly looking back on it i kind of think he just had other like friends of his maybe that we got <laughs> the gig from i swear and and, and he's like don't do it so like other people like <laughs> Because one, I guess one guy did it once and he made like double that, but it was like, mm. it was a bigger band. There's like five or six of us as opposed to like one or two dudes doing this. So even if it is like union dues, I mean, you know how union, any union is when it comes to seniority and shit, those dudes yeah. don't mess around, you know? So maybe you were stepping on some, some toes, uh, yeah. vocationally as these, you know, fresh 22 year olds or something like that. Yeah, I feel like that's like not quite the opposite, but really similar to the the like lukewarm advice that pretty much every musician gets at some point, which is say yes to everything. But there's an argument to be made that that's good advice in a lot of situations. But at a certain point, it becomes terrible advice, (laughs) you know, self promo little book chapter in this thing I'm working on is literally like on late. It's called like on labor and mentorship based on like personal, sh- personal crappy experiences I had in New York in like early to that 20, you know, 2010s. And uh, yeah, it, it's basically the, the final question of like, you know, self-worth time is money. Uh, you know, thinking about the hours in your day versus projects you have and spreading yourself thin, you know, for the sake of taking on as much as possible. Like, you know, we're all hungry. We all want work, right? And, but it's when somebody is, starts taking advantage of you because like, oh, I thought you were down to, to do this. You know, I thought you were yeah, like- Shouldn't you just love what you do? Yeah, I thought you just love what you do and working yeah. for, for poverty wages, right? Like, you know, and it's, yeah. it gets down to a lot of that is, especially when you're young, I think people walk all over you for that. It's hustle culture, right? It's like any other industry now where it's just like the grind, man. And it's like just a marketing campaign to convince you to be cool with crap wages. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's late stage capitalism personified in a musical form. This is a sure. so. anti-work, anti-work, anarcho-communist podcast. We've taken over, <laughs> we've taken over Soundfly. I'm occupying Soundfly from here point forward. We are freeing the syllabi, baby. <laughs> this is not a drill. All right, let's. let's I'm gonna get That's us back on the. I took us job. off the rails. I think I'm gonna try and get us yes. back on the rails here. The, Please. The, sorry. The the one last point that I actually, an earnest point that I was trying to make was, <laughs> yes, you yes you can say yes to to anything, but you have to I think have a a funnel to put all of these things that, that maybe come at you. You get asked to do through. So 
two of three thing, things it's got to be it's got to either pay this. at least decently well it's got to be at least musically fulfilling or it's got to be with people that you care about and if you get two of those three things then absolutely do it one of three i think you can still consider it zero for three what are you doing do something else your time make some music <laughs> like get creative do take ownership over your own stuff and write your own stuff. I think that's honestly the best advice I ever got was like, yeah, if you're not satisfied with where you're at musically in whatever situation, just do it yourself. Like go out and make make the stuff that you want to make, you want to hear. So, but now turn your attention back to some bad advice. Let's get into <laughs> some bad advice via some Ooh. tracks. So here is our first selection for the episode. One, two, three, uh. We're listening to Hey uh, of course, from Outcast, Big Boy and Andre 3000, from the speaker box, The Love Below. One of the most incredible records I think you'll ever hear. And, and this song, love this song. A little fast fact about this track. It was originally titled Thank God for Mom and Dad, uh, which is a lyric in the song. And then it was also, it was titled after that, The Saddest Song in the World. Uh, before mm. it was eventually landed mm. on Hey Ya, uh, or sorry, Hey Ya. Uh, um, hello, yeah, yes. Yeah, that'd be a different Hello, hello, yeah. hello, yes. <laughs> hello, yes. Um, the, the Carter Lee version of the, that's awesome. Um, the form is really interesting. There's a bar of two, of course, for the D chord right before we land on that E major. The fact that you have this one little short bar it allows for the whole loop to be repeated for the entire song and not get stale. Um, I think that's really, really interesting. Keeps it fresh harmonically throughout. Um, the other thing that keeps it really fresh, I think, throughout is the production. Anytime you have a track that has electric bass and synth bass on it, sometimes playing at the same time, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I am an absolute fan of that. Um, the synth bass line was played by Kevin Kendrick who like this, the lines are incredible on this. And we'll mm -hmm. listen to those a little bit uh, too. He's actually got this, like there's this added lead line right before the breakdown that I'd never really noticed. Can we talk about bars of two for a second? Cause I think that they are one of those devices that people may not realize they can use but they're they're pretty easy to sneak in like i've done it without realizing that i did it until i went to make a lead sheet and was like oh wait i kind of had to heal that transition and i guess i just dropped two beats there and those are the i think that's the best way to arrive at this stuff where it's natural you're not mm -hmm. forcing in like like when people write stuff in seven and it's it's <laughs> just so forced if it if it naturally ends up that what you wrote beat a baseline or a groove or a beat or whatever ends up in an odd time and it just feels natural like that's perfect it's good to sit down and practice that sure. and, and work on you know stuff in in odd time signatures and stuff like that or even just like inject a, sh a bar of two in in something that's otherwise in four um well, cause but eventually it'll come out things. organically yeah, yeah definitely two so, and four two and four it's like when you can make when you can make those things sound not that way you know what I mean? Like where you yeah. where you keep yeah. it where you keep it even, but 
it's uh, seemingly odd or working within those parameters to subdivisions that kind of feel mathed out. But, yeah. you know, like, you know, that's like, to me, some of my more favorite, even in like, I don't know, like, yeah, like you said, I mean, like odd time signatures, it just becomes derivative and of mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like math rock. It's like, right. mm-hmm. you have to like actively consciously write with like a, this in mind, you know? And I mean, like I've done it, you know, we've, I feel like a lot of people have had their, I'm not a guitarist, but I mean like, you know, their fair share of just like, oh, when they, when they <laughs> see some like guitar, like hella style tapping, you know, like crazy time yeah. signature math rock stuff in college or whatever. But I feel like at a certain point, it's the, uh, to me, like, I feel like movement response from audience, uh, is the most like kind of communal experience of, of music, mm-hmm. like delivery mm-hmm. live. And not to say that like you need four, four to have like <laughs> dance, to have danceable music. Right. But like, I feel like there's the ability to be both like forward thinking, experimental, intelligent, intellectualized <laughs> multimeter and stuff while still presenting it in a way that's like, I can still two step to this. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> like, yep. like to be able to cover all that is a, is an art form, you know? Absolutely. I think that with this sort of thing here, um, it to me, it's more like this is what the song needed and just accepting that, you know? Like, I think people have this obsession with symmetry often when they're, like, new to songwriting or composition or whatever. And just reminding yourself sometimes, you know what, if four beats feels like too much, you can do two. Like, that is an option. <laughs> and it's worth trying. The other, the other thing production-wise on this track uh when andre says hey ladies and the women uh respond throughout the track right that's actually one woman uh edited to sound like a crowd and she was actually nice. an assistant engineer on the session uh oh. so wikipedia coming in handy with that her. fast fact for you <laughs> damn um yeah serious so, truth. <laughs> there, there you go right the bad the bad advice though um do you guys know what the bad advice is i'm sure maybe you already nice. can think of so what's the bad advice it's the um, Polaroid. It's the Polaroid, yeah. right? Sure yeah. is. So <laughs> shake it like a Polaroid picture. Let's have a listen to this breakdown. So before before I talk about the advice, of course, yeah. the bass line at that part, we go full synth bass, really, really, really hip is that it's not playing the roots to start. So still the same uh, harmonic structure, um, but the the line is actually playing, uh, Kevin Kendrick, I'm assuming still playing synth bass on this, is playing the fifth of that G chord. He's playing a D. Um, just something that... You know, you get asked, like, as a bass player, like, well, how do I make lines that are unique and interesting and different? It's just explore their chord tones. That's that's the best advice I could give. So, yeah, the the bad advice, shake it like a Polaroid picture. Um, you don't have to shake Polaroids. You're actually not even supposed to shake Polaroids. I don't think there was a time you were ever supposed to shake <laughs> no. Polaroids. So, the, so where this kind of came from, I found an article from 
uh, I'm assuming, I'm hoping, is a very reputable website <laughs> called Today I Found Out. Which I've seen that before. It's, yeah. it's, it's an academic like resource. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Today I Found Out. Um, early Polaroids from the late 1940s used what's known as peel apart film, where yep. you had to physically peel apart the positive and the negative after fo- after the photo had developed. So peel apart film needed to dry before you could handle it. So it was thought that waving the photo would help it dry quicker. That actually was not the case. And sometimes it would actually ruin your, your photo because it wasn't dry. And you're just like smearing this photo as you're waving it like a Polaroid picture, shaking it. Uh, so in the 1970s, the new models of Polaroids got rid of the need to peel and dry anything, but people still did it anyway because it was so ingrained. It became synonymous uh, with Polaroids. That, yeah, I, of course you're going to shake it. Like you, that's, I think I, people thought it spread the ink or something like that faster. Didn't they yeah. have to issue a statement? Um, I think Polaroid after after Andre after the song came out. You mean? Yeah, I yes. thought, I thought yes. they had to say something. Oh like, man. <laughs> Polaroid did put a statement on their website after the song because of how huge the song became. And people just like, of course, I have to shake Polaroid. Uh, They they posted the image develops and dries behind a clear plastic (laughs) window and never touches the air. So shaking or waving has no effect. uh, You dummies. I put that in. That's that's the editorial effect there at the end. But uh, so one thing too, um, Polaroid also, though, playing both sides of this, they quietly bankrolled a bunch of parties hosted by Outcast, where That's their cameras awesome. were distributed to celebrity guests, uh, allowing the company smart. to further capitalize smart. on the success of the song. So, Like pre-Instagram celebrity I mean, guests? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you name drop them. You name drop them without any, you know, it's got to be, uh, it's very clear, uh, I mean, tacky, but clear marketing uh, synchronicity, that synergy. That's what it is. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah, I just like that. Like, if they even, I'm like, I'm fine with that marketing. Like, sure. That sounds great. Just reminds me of the Kanye quote on Lady Gaga and Polaroid. You know, it's like, I love her songs. What the hell does she know about cameras? It's like, you know, like <laughs> Andre 3000, like, I don't care about this at all. Like, you guys, you guys are a lyric for me, and now this is a check. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Any, uh, any other thoughts on, on Hey, uh, I mean, Hey, I met you, um, your name sounding yes, very you similar to yeah. the, to the yeah. title of the song. I look forward to but there, people now. Did you ever have well, that in your youth? Did people bully not, you? She had it as an adult, actually. In my youth. Yeah. Because it sounds like, well, my name is hard to pronounce, and it isn't exactly, it's not like Mahaya. It's Mahaya. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, as Carter knows, I had back in my children's musical theater music directing days i had an entire cast of children sing that to me at the <laughs> has to happen era. at least <laughs> once in your life in exactly that type of context yeah. it needs to be yeah, an entire chorus of children singing <laughs> mm-hmm. it to you like lovingly but also half mockingly yeah and also as i'm standing there like i'm never gonna do this kind of work again i think like, i'm done with this phase in my life that's yeah. what that's what did it in <laughs> Oh, it was the like kind recognition, not like the hours of underpay. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Say yes to everything. Um, all right. Well, should we move on to our second selection yes. of the episode, which is a classic? Here we go. Yo, man. Yo. Open up, man. Yo, what do you want, man? My girl just caught me. You made her catch you? I don't know how I let this happen. But who? The girl next door, you know? 
I don't know what to do. So it wasn't you. Alright. Honey came in and she got me red handed, creeping with the girl next door. Oh man. Uh, oh, man. So Max, Yo, I mean This is the lore. This is telling a <laughs> epic story on scale with Homer. And it's not uh, <laughs> It's a full libretto here. This is uh just before we dive deep in, I mean, everybody knows this song, but to keep keep in the the form of the the show, I suppose. Yeah, Max, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? So this is so this is uh, wasn't me by <laughs> a a young a young vocalist named Shaggy with the help of uh, Rick Rock, uh, yep. whoever that is, with with K's, <laughs> no C's involved in that. Uh, released in two thousand. Uh, I was nine years old at the time. <laughs> Good year for music. And as maybe some millennials might recall, uh, at the you know late '90s, early 2000s, if you were elementary age, there was uh, what's it called, uh, Radio Disney, and they would do uh, they would do clean edits of things with like the top 40 pop stars all the time, and they did a clean edit of this, which in <laughs> retrospect is. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's uh, you know, Shaggy is a uh for those that, that don't know, a uh we can call him pop dance hall uh yep. artist, uh which when it came out, I mean, all I knew about reggae and Jamaican music was Bob Marley. So I guess Shaggy really was for a lot of us our first dance hall uh exposure. Um, mm. maybe in the American millennial uh discography ear. But, uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some other other good examples. But I don't know how many others at the time were getting on Radio Disney. This is most certainly uh, an interesting time because, I mean, I guess it was definitely like top 40 merging in like not only like heavy boy band, late 90s, 2000s era yeah. pop, but also seeing like a real huge boost of the of R&B and more commercialized, safe hip hop. Mm -hmm. And things like mm -hmm. that, right? I mean, like it's just over the '90s that it just took that decade for it to become like a packaged object, right? And I guess dancehall being one of the many offshoots and uh, subgenres that hip hop, uh, in many ways, is contemporary with, right? Because you know, like history of hip hop and dancehall reggae kind of intertwined with uh, you know Jamaican sound system culture and all that, and mm -hmm. toasting as they call it, which is what. Shaggy does here the type of rapping vocalizing we hear is is typically called toasting. Which goes back to 70s live band uh reggae bands that would play more of this kind of I I guess dembo club inspired stuff and then DJ culture kind of took it over but they would always have the they call it a DJ, but D-E-E-J-A-Y, mm -hmm. ironically, is the vocalist. And his style of vocals, normally a him, unfortunately, as we'll soon find out, not a genre, not, uh, not at all devoid of uh, sexism and uh, homophobia. Uh, yeah. But uh, it, the toasting style of vocals came first and rapping followed that because DJ Cool Herc was Jamaican and mm -hmm. heard toasting and family parties in Jamaica and was like, you can spit kind of like without the patois style over my breakbeat mixing, you know? That's a, that's an interesting little tidbit there. 
Max, that was that's tons of stuff I just learned. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Look at that. Love that. I, I expected to learn something from you today, of course, and I was not I didn't prepare I was not anything like you had a nice worksheet <laughs> that I saw, but I wanted to pick something that in the very least we could talk about like Jamaican music as a backdrop yeah. for this because I love I love Jamaican music. There is one thing I wanted to touch. So are you familiar? I mean, Max, I'm going to assume you are, but are you familiar with the song Smile Happy uh, from War? Sounds familiar. Um, so apparently even Chaggy said that uh, this track influenced uh, It Wasn't Me. So let's have a little listen to it and uh, let's see if we agree. I mean, same bass line. I love that. Love that. The one thing I like about this too, and the one thing about the groove in It Wasn't Me that, that I didn't notice before, and it was almost, it felt a little bit out to me, is the, the kick in the bass feel. So the kick playing um, on the downbeat and then the and of beat one, and then the bass playing on the downbeat and the ah uh of beat one. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But when I once I heard that, I couldn't unhear it, mm. and it was somewhat unsettling to me. It just didn't lock in as much as what I what I. And far be it for me to to be like this track that that sold billions of copies. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't groove as hard as I thought it did. But that's just my two cents. Not to. Um, I always felt like this track could have gone fully in because you know we have like the guitar part doing kind of the offbeat mm -hmm. demboy kind of rhythm doon da da doon da right and then to me like the drums are the R&B American western sort of pop at the time like you know, a little yeah. shuffly, a little swung, but pretty just like R&B pop sort of sound. But to me, it could have very easily just been straight up dance hall through and through, which just would have been like, which is pretty much what the guitar implies. But because it's not a mm -hmm. rhythmic, a rhythm section instrument, it's it plays in counterpoint to a more swung hip hoppy r&b pop sort of mm -hmm. uh, production mm -hmm. for all we know there are probably plenty of like original jamaican b-side remixes that came out yeah. at the time like that just That's had true. different rhythms as they call it you know where it's just like let's just put this this production over the same vocals let's do it with another production so mm -hmm. make like a reggaeton version of it make a make a, a dance hall reggae version of it you know it's, it's adaptable <laughs> absolutely yeah. um are you are you also are you familiar with maybe the lyrical uh, influence of this track? Did I get like I watched enough Shaggy interviews? I think the last week to last a the lifetime. But man, um, I'm just in the poetry itself. I wouldn't even. I, I wanted to come. <laughs> in, I wanted to come into this raw. Just look. Just reading lyrics, so, and it's not rocket science to see why there are several layers of bad advice in this in oh, this yeah. song lyrically, but. I think one of our biggest our biggest problems as uh, non-Jamaicans, uh, non-Patois speakers is getting the full lyrical content. It's uh, it's it's easy to skip over the nuance of uh, insanity. Mm, yeah. <laughs> in this, in, in uh, what's the advice being given to this young yes. man? <laughs> well, it's all it's all 
very terrible advice, but I, I do, <laughs> I, I think, so it is, um, and again, I think Shaggy even said himself that it's influenced directly from a bit uh, from Eddie Murphy's Raw. Mm. Uh, if you haven't seen it, of course, one of the most legendary comedy specials of all time. I highly recommend checking it out. Equally uh, problematic. <laughs> yes, also, also... <laughs> Lots of bad advice and also, yeah. yes. <laughs> Wait, but this isn't Plenty just autobiographical? Um, like, I feel I like I've judged some people unfairly if it's not autobiographical. I think, Shaggy's pro- I think Shaggy's probably a better guy than what he portrays himself as yeah. in this song, as the Wait, purveyor of terrible it- advice. Well, Shaggy's giving the advice. Okay. The opening is the skit where uh, the, the, the guy who's singing right. the hook, Rick Rock... Rick Rock yeah. is the is the one who uh, he's the has been in, he's been the he's, he's the perp he's the one having infidelity with uh, unknown unknown woman oh, in his perp. who has access to his villa uh, the first <laughs> uh, so we that's know, terrible that's just like don't do that Rick on, like what are you on. doing the villa come on the regular house va- the regular home give her access to that but the vacation house come on the villa. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, this is a conversation between uh, Shaggy the Sage giving his advice <laughs> to uh, a young Rick Rock who happens yeah. to have uh, come into a bit of a predicament involving his his guma, as Tony Soprano would say. <laughs> and his wife. Maybe his wife, maybe his girlfriend, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, someone that's that not he's, clear either. <laughs> someone who has keys to his villa. The, the other thing to say about Shaggy, of course, is like, <laughs> which I just, these weird non sequiturs that I just keep throwing in. Because again, like you said, Max, the bad advice is all over this track and it's so like obvious. Like, there's just terrible advice. So just say it wasn't you, man. Like, just that, that's yeah. that's it. Like, Idiot's Guide to Gaslighting is this entire <laughs> yeah, this uh, is literally... song, I guess. Um, but Sting and Shaggy's collaboration, yeah, as far oh. as like new Shaggy stuff, sick. So sick. Oh my God. Um, they sound really? amazing. That's how you feel about it? They sound incredible. They do sound every good time, together. Every yeah. time I'm reminded, though, of Sting, like, and his. Oh, does man. Sting walk in Kingston and just earn respect? Like, does he have clout like that? I, I mean, he sounds good no matter who he's collaborating yeah. with, in my opinion. So maybe he's bringing out the best in Shaggy and what people appreciate. He's got a history of some, at least some, you know, some. Some upstrokes, some Jamaican yeah. upstrokes, you know what I mean? A little Absolutely. Roxanne yeah. action there. Uh, yeah. You know, it's... I've, Offender, it, like, yeah. Joe Strummer, He's... like, you know, like, do you just earn, <laughs> you just earn clout if you, if you pay respect at some point? I don't know. That and you, you got to do the, the family man thing and just have your, your flat wound strings on your P bass for like 40 years and never <laughs> change them. And that's part of the, the sound. Truly, I mean, that's like with, with family man and, and all the, the incredible Bob Marley records, like, a lot of that sound in, in his bass is attributed to just like never changing the <laughs> and, and it's awesome. Like, and you it's something you can't you can't replicate. You can't yeah. like you can like like how are you going to get that? No, it's it's really Tone. amazing. Um, <laughs> the bridge. So about the advice though, Max on this this track, our our um, protagonist in the song actually rejects the advice at the end of the track in the bridge, right? Or he said, "I'm going to tell her that I'm sorry." Like, I'm going to tell the pain her that, that I'm I sorry. Caused. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm going to come clean, Shaggy. This is bad advice. I'm not Do you think he it. rejects it because it's ethically bad advice or because he's like, she's not that dumb? Like, just be like, mm, like if you catch someone red-handed and they're like, this isn't yeah, me. How, like, yeah, how... <laughs> yeah. What part, like, for what reason does he reject it? It reminds me, this is totally a different, could not be a more different situation, but like, 
it's like what a kid would do. This is much worse. This is much <laughs> worse. But um, any yeah, any final thoughts on on it wasn't me. I mean, it it's a track that it feels newer for whatever reason than than two thousand. But here we are, twenty two years later. The song is like Damn, one of those mega 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 hit songs that will never never leave. So. Yeah, it's definitely timeless though. Like you just yeah. put this on. If you put this on, like many different contexts a dj could present this or like radio or club and people would not complain you know like Absolutely. i feel like it would still have its a uh, its uh in the very yeah. least nostalgic timelessness yeah. right oh man on that note let's get <laughs> into our final selection <laughs> of the episode i'll remember forever when i was but 3 mama who was clever remarking to me Son, when you're grown up and you want everything nice, I've got your future sewn up if you'll take this advice. Be a clown, be a clown, all the world loves a clown. Show them tricks. Man, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? <laughs> We are listening to Cole Porter's song, Be a Clown, as performed by Gene Kelly and Judy Garland. Right off the bat, though, too, there's that sweet, like, soft intro, and then it just hits you with, be a clown! Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what? Like, well, can we talk about intros real quick? Like, we didn't talk about so intros. This is one yeah. of my favorite things about songs that become jazz standards, or have become. I don't know if songs are still becoming jazz standards. That's a different topic for another day. But one of my favorite things is all those intro verses that so rarely get performed in standards like that one, where musically it feels so different from the rest of the song. So the reason those things existed is because so much of the stuff was written for like musical theater, and it served as a segue from dialogue to the actual part of the song where all the singing and dancing was going to happen. I think Night and Day might have one of my favorite intro verses. So a voice within me keeps repeating you, 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 night and day. You are the one. So this song was written for the 1948 movie The Pirate, starring Gene Kelly and Judy Garland. Gene Kelly actually sings it twice in the movie, which I've never seen, so... Hell yeah, that's good. That's some good time filler right there. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, just, just sing the song again, Gene. Just get, just, <laughs> just, just get right? out there! <laughs> we need 90 minutes. This is 85. I do kind of feel like movies were like that a lot of the time back, where they're like, oh, people are going to be so mystified by just seeing the human. I mean, Judy, Garland, Judy Garland had the had a horrible life, you know, uh, how how she was treated. That was the... The factory, yeah, the of factory of, uh, of the movie mm-hmm. industry, right? Just like caused her like inevitable downfall if you're going to like be treated like that. So God knows, God too. knows <laughs> how many, what the reasoning for those types of decisions in a like literal, like wild west Hollywood 1940s, right? Oh man. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Cole Porter, who wrote the song, <laughs> is one of my favorite. He's just like... Uh, there just aren't lyricists like this anymore. No. I'm sure there are, but um, but I'm not aware of them. This is a good song to dive into just because like things like the rhyming and the scansion are like nobody has any excuses for lazy rhyme schemes. 
Um, he rhymes the word arrears, which I didn't even know was a word. He rhymes yeah. jack and apes. Be a crack, jack and apes, and it's just very clever. Um, bars, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Say, you know? Bars for sure. <laughs> um, well, I mean, there is also that, like, I don't know if it's actually true, but that story about how he supposedly wrote the song I Love You because somebody basically dared him, dared him to. Yeah. Like, this is just a clever person who um, <laughs> made songwriting look easy. But the bad advice in this song. Yeah. I can't decide if it actually is bad advice anymore there's some terrible advice though they they like wear baggy pants and like you'll be popular or something like that for a time um for a a time it was i don't think it is anymore jinko jeans are making a comeback my friend okay we're gonna be where you meet me down at the skate park bring your razor (laughs) scooter and your jinko jeans uh and we'll see we'll see what's popping i think that line though is something isn't it like um i have it up i should be wearing my glasses oh well um baggy pants if you're in the mood for romance i think is the rhyme yeah just <laughs> a huge baggy pants and you'll ride the road to romance sounds like great advice i don't know what sure y'all what are talking about bad advice <laughs> The song calls out a bunch of other professions. It basically implies that women don't care about butchers, bakers, or barbers, which, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Butchers. Um, butchers providing butchers providing cool. meat, protein for your yep. household. Bakers. Yep. Now you have infinite muffins. Everything. <laughs> literally putting bread on the table. Literally putting bread on the table. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever bread thing you want. It's like the three most hipstery. These are just three different types of guys living in Brooklyn. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> but like, I thought about that. And at first I was like, yeah, maybe those aren't great jobs. I don't know. But they seem like better jobs than being a clown. I looked it up. Clowns actually don't seem to do that poorly financially. No, no. According to salary.com, another reputable internet source. <laughs> salary.com. <laughs> it was the only Subsidiary place I could find of it. Job.ca. I know, I know. I googled how much do clowns make in lots of different ways and did find other similar make? things. Oh, but man. apparently the median salary for a clown in the US in um, as of March 29th, 2022 is about $62,000. Which isn't like rolling in it, but that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> no. like, it's, it's higher than I expected. You're on the road too, so you're probably like getting comped a bunch of comped a bunch of meals. You know, if you're doing the touring circus thing, like you know, you might you don't you don't even necessarily need you know your vagabond lifestyle. Save money, keep clowning. (laughs) And I dug deeper into that, and it turns out this is like a thing. Like if you go back to medieval court jesters, which are like you know that's in many ways like that's that's a clown. I didn't realize that they were either part of the court, like the king provided for them, or another noble person would like take to them and become their benefactor. Like that's just how they live. <laughs> like jesters didn't pay for anything. Yo. And the other thing that jesters and then like early clowns in our culture had is the ability to comment on like the political situation. Yeah, or I knew that. that right, they're the only it. one that could roast the king, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and not just be killed right away. Yeah, you, <laughs> like if you're funny, I mean, yeah, it's like the only kosher situation that you could uh, criticize a monarch, right? And I didn't realize that that 
continued until very recently. Like, you know, 1890s, we have like Pagliacci, the sad clown in yeah, opera. Sad clown. That's very serious. That's not like a slapstick, silly situation. And I guess in the US, the history of clowns goes back to the days of George Washington, who attended the circus in the year 1793. And back then, the circus was geared towards adults rather than children, and a lot of clowns focused on political satire. Huh. So, wow. I guess it wasn't until um, the 1940s with like the Howdy Doody show and stuff that clowns became a kid's thing. So, for a long time, they could say all the things no one else could, and they were living just fine. I mean, this was in 1948 the song came out. So, <laughs> maybe it was good advice. The song also says, don't get a college degree, which, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the academic in me is like, oh, college was a great time and I wish I could go back right now, but college is crazy expensive right now. <laughs> like, you could get a decent job without doing it now. That was good advice. That was good. There is some, there is some good advice in this, this That's song, what I'm saying. All sure. the stuff that like, reads as bad advice the first time feels a little on the fence <laughs> when you look back at it. I don't know. I feel like... Uh... That don't go to college. I mean, it's giving us mixed signals here because it's saying don't go to work and get an honorable working man's job cutting people's hair, baking bread and and chopping up steaks. That is dishonorable. But also don't get an <laughs> education. <laughs> yeah. Well, it also so it also digs at doctors and lawyers at yeah. some point. Like basically clowns the only job. Good. If everybody heeded this advice, we'd be in a tough spot. If everybody was a clown, it it wouldn't uh, society would collapse upon itself. Doctors, course, so. sure. <laughs> Lawyers, eh, whatever. No one is safe from this guy. No, <laughs> great composers can't pay their rent, according to Cole Porter. Just looking at the lyric, like I do recommend looking up the lyrics um, mm -hmm. because they're they're relentless. There's like Cole Porter is just like he probably wrote this in an afternoon, if that, yeah. and it was just like. This Perfect. probably hold my like drink moment. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, but it man. is interesting um, in the middle, the the jobs in the middle of the song. Great composer and major poet, and I would argue that he was both. So maybe there's himself. a little, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a self-deprecating moment there for him. Love that. Yeah, he's Love projecting. That. I think this is just projection. I think there's some <laughs> we're talking. There's some insecurities here. This is his most honest moment. Could be. I mean, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't quickly talk about some of the musical elements in the song, which, of course, being a jazz standard, has some really great harmony that you don't hear that often nowadays. Lots of secondary dominance. There's a glorious four minor chord towards the end. But I love a good four minor. It's very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is the melody. It's a great, like... Not da, just da, da, roots and fits melody, but it's yeah. a very show tune. It is like, a show tune. Classic. You get yeah. That's gonna be da 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 da. It's, it's gonna stuck be in your head though, right? Yeah, it is. It very has a much nice so. art to it. If you want to study songwriting, study Cole Porter. Yeah. Study Johnny Mercer. Study the Gershwins. Um, they might not seem relevant, but there's so many things you can learn and then update for yourself and all of those composers work man that is some great advice 
to uh, yeah, to end this episode right? on. I I, I mm-hmm. love. I was gonna like oh, we gotta maybe give the folks some good <laughs> advice because we've had all this bad. And Mahaya to the rescue there. Uh, but Max, dude, <laughs> this is awesome. This is so much fun. Can't thank you enough for coming on. It, this was just a blast uh, to do it. So, dude, again, as we talked a little bit at the beginning, but you you're doing so many things, man of many talents, and uh, you wear many hats. What's going on for you right now? Where can the folks find you? Uh, the floor is yours to share anything you want to promote uh, to our listeners at this time. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram or Twitter at. Lameem, at Lameem Young with underscores between the la and the meme. Uh, I run a Patreon, which is a pretty much a virtual class community uh, where you sign up five bucks a month and uh, you get access to, uh, we do weekly performance workshops. We have group critiques of listening to each other's recordings. Uh, not at all an escape from the irony the uh, the irony poisoned uh, world of of musicians on the internet musical discourse amongst the internet in the reply sections uh, as so much toxic play as so many so much toxicity out there uh, actively trying to you know be the antithesis of that so uh, go lamemyoung.com if you want to sign up for that and uh, yeah that's pretty much it thank you guys for having me. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out even more songs that offer bad advice, head to the episode playlist in our show notes. And if you have a theme you'd like to see broken down on the show, be sure to drop us a line at podcast at soundfly.com. And remember to head to soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.